What's up, world? One way that you can support the show is by liking and subscribing on any platform you're listening to. And don't forget to check out our Clips channel on YouTube. Thank you for supporting the show. We at The Other Side of Hell podcast are not therapists, doctors, or counselors. We're just two guys who have been through hell and come out the other side. Please be aware, we may talk about drinking and drugging in detail. Anyone struggling with addiction may find this triggering. Our goal is to share our stories, explore our struggles, and connect with others through our experience. Remember, we are not alone. There is hope, and together we can get better. What's up, world? I'm Willie. And I'm Cameron. And back with us again is our resident therapist, Chris. Hi, Chris. Hey, Chris. <laughs> Welcome back. Hi, everybody. I want to talk about yeah. sex, baby. We got you back. Uh, you it's been me. too long. Well, it's, it's been, been a bit. It's been too long. I'm glad to be back. Yeah, I'm glad to have you back. Because especially, you know, we're, we're talking about such... An untalk about a bowl. Talk about all the good things. Topic. And the bad We're going to talk about sex things. today. Let's talk Let's about like, sex. The uncomfortable topic. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what your parents told you about it, but mine didn't talk much about yeah, it. So, mine never talked about it. You know, we wanted to talk about this topic because there's so much, there's so much involved with it. Like what? Like ev- everybody's a product of it. Nobody, At least once. Yeah. Nobody wants to talk about it. And there's so much dysfunction and trauma and beauty and just, it's such a big topic. And so we wanted to have you on to kind of talk about healthy sex, unhealthy sex, you know, all that stuff. So go ahead, Cameron, take it away. All the good things (laughs) and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about sex. You know, I, I, I say that and I feel like I'm, I'm making light of it because there is good in sex Mm -hmm. right like sex isn't bad like even though we talk to a lot of people that have a lot of negative experiences with sex like i'm not discluded from that right um i think that uh, it's important to remember that sex can be a good thing as well and that's why like when chris came on we told everyone to talk about sex she said well sex is a huge topic what do you want to talk about yeah what part (laughs) Mm -hmm. i said well I guess we want to talk about a little, you know, a little bit of everything because I think we all deal with a little bit of everything when it comes to, to sex. And so, you know, one, one of the, maybe one of the, the good places to start might be, you know, what is a healthy sexual relationship? Yeah. How I mean, did it get so, so, how did it get so abnormally, like, like it's such Okay, so we were talking before the show, and and one of the funny things that Cameron brought up was, you know, it seems like sex was the first thing associated with shame, mm-hmm. right? Like, like, and 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 I can agree with that. Like growing up, you know, uh, it was always around, but it was never an acceptable topic. It was never in 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 my life anyway. Like it was never like something that was just like. Oh, this is a normal thing. This is where you came. Like, you know what I mean? And so, uh, I don't even like sitting here with this. I don't even know how to talk about it. What do yeah, I what feel do uncomfortable. <laughs> I mean, sex was like the first taboo, right? Right. I mean, 
maybe even the only taboo really like growing up like was sex was like the one thing that you didn't talk about like when the teacher said certain words you snickered like oh my god like <laughs> you know like because you're actually talking about the one thing that we don't talk about oh my goodness yeah you know? like and so like what what is it about sex like what Chris? What is it? I, I, I refer to your opinion on. Yeah, this. I, I think there's a lot of things around sex that makes it uncomfortable. And one is, I think that um, people have the feeling that if you talk about sex, that means people will have sex. Meaning, we don't talk about it in the schools because we're afraid that then our kids will have sex. If you talk about it, God forbid, then they'll have sex. Um, and so we don't talk about it in schools. We don't educate people very well on what is a healthy relationship, what is healthy sex, what. What are some abnormal abnormalities around that? What can you expect from your body uh, when you're experiencing and having sex? We don't talk about any of that mm -hmm. because then that means that kids will have sex. And that, that isn't true. That statement just isn't true. But then it, you have to, I think, step back from it a little bit further and see that um, sex is really a man's world historically. Like women mm -hmm. have, have not historically been able to talk freely about sex and what's normal and enjoyable for them. And so you, you put that gender role into it as well as that men are in charge of sex, where then some of the pornography and some of the issues come in and some of the shame come in is because men are supposed to be in charge of sex and women aren't supposed to talk about it. Well, and that, I mean, it's like, as, as you're saying that, I'm like it, even, even in my culture, like, which was longer, longer ago, like my childhood was longer ago than I care to think about, but, <laughs> but maybe not, you know, as long ago as like the sixties or like way back mm -hmm. in the day. But like, you know, there was still that notion of like, if you're a guy and you're having lots of sex, you're a stud. Mm -hmm. But if you're a girl and you're having sex, you're a slut. You right. Mm -hmm. I remember and, that. Yeah. Idea. And I think, you know, I don't, I don't know that that's <clears throat> changed at all. Like, I think that that's still, you know, some, some sort of maybe residual, you know, stigma that, that, that always comes with sex. So when you say it's a man's world, it's like, yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. we've, we've always sort of associated the men to the more dominated role of, of sex. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that's where sexual addiction plays a role as well is because it's viewed as a man's world. And so men uh, partake of uh, sexual activity openly more than women do. And, you know, in, in steps, some, um, addiction and some other other issues with it or some abnormalities or some shame or you know things that where they're feeling like it's not normal because it's supposed to be a man's world uh, and some of those things kick into that mm -hmm. i know like like for me the 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 thing was it, because it wasn't talked about in a healthy manner right like this is okay that's not okay what ended up coming out was like i started listening to the the guys that were just older than me who were who were doing it out of ego and and so coming up where i came up from it was like the amount mattered right yeah. like like oh, yeah. there was a lot mm -hmm. of validation that came through who it was with and the amounts that that came along with it and and if those things weren't happening for real then we just lie about it you know like <laughs> yeah yeah i'm just banging it out all the time and and so there was never 
until until I got way older in life, and I ended up having to actually go to a sex therapist, you know, that that specializes in sexual relationships and things like that, to get a better understanding of what was going on with me sexually, because I was so confused over what the right thing was. You know, what is healthy? What is not mm-hmm. healthy? What part of me is this? What part is biological? You know, what you're saying about mm-hmm. your bodies. I needed help. And going to a therapist that specializes in sexuality and relationships helped me out a ton, you know, and I think it's okay to ask for help in that. Just like we talk about on the show, it's okay to ask for help. And sometimes it's needed, especially if there's a lot of confusion that goes along with why do I feel this way around what created all of us? Right. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I, I dig it, (laughs) Put put a pin in it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and I def I still don't know how to talk about it. Uh, like, yeah, even how, today it's uncomfortable, how, right? How to, how to flow, you know, like, like I can, I can speak on different bullet points of sexuality, right? Like, oh, well, when I was a kid, this was what sex was like. When I was a teenager, this was what sex was like. When I was in my twenties, this, like it, like it progressed until I became a parent. And once I became a parent, for some reason the the, the switch flipped and I started recognizing that I'm going to have to learn how to talk about this. Mm. I'm going to have to learn how to explain what is going on here, you know, and, and that made a realization for me. And so I had to go back through my past and look at, you know, what are my sexual trauma? Like what was really going on with me as a kid? Mm -hmm. Was it okay that pornography has been in my life, my whole life, you know, is, is there something that plays a part in that was, the, the shame that went along with it, you know, how do I not pass that on to the next generation of my bloodline, you know, and how do I teach what sexuality is in a healthy way if I don't know that myself? And so it's all, a, it's still all a process, but I dare say it's, uh, it's easier now that, mm-hmm. I'm, that I'm a little older and understand what's going on, you know? So next point. I don't think you can start talking about <laughs> sex until you can t- start talking first about healthy relationships and what is a healthy relationship and what is consent. <clears throat> because without understanding those two topics, it's hard just to jump into a conversation around sex. Oh, great. Right? Because sex still has to be a healthy, consensual part of your life. Right. Sure. I agree. And and for many, that's not the case. Right. We were And we were talking a little bit before that, that consent doesn't always look like, you know, in in uh, Utah, you said, you know, no means no, and everybody agrees with that. Mm-hmm. And yes means yes, and everybody agrees with that. But silence does not mean yes. Correct. We did. There was a big campaign in Utah, you know, around no means no, and and the <clears throat> point was to make sure that people were giving consent uh, to to be to have a type a sexual partner of any kind. But what happens sometimes is people freeze. And they don't respond out of fear or being uncomfortable or not really maybe being in a position to consent. And instead of just waiting and saying, well, they didn't say the words no, so that must mean yes, Mm -hmm. we had to move to yes means yes. And so until somebody says yes, they're not consenting. Right. Uh, No, just no means no doesn't no doesn't mean yes. The the absence of no. No, I appreciate that. You know, I I think that. A lot of times we get we get uh, lost in in correctness, right? Mm-hmm. Like we get lost in um, because it's something that's so not talked about. 
you know, we don't even know how to move forward early on with what even is going on with us, you know? And, and so when, when I went to the sexual therapist, what we talked about was biological levels of sexuality. Okay. And so, because I am a man, I'm hit with certain amounts of testosterone every so often, right? Biologically, I'm wired to, um, spread my seed. There's, there's a biological effect to that. And without, um, getting some help and, and being able to talk about like, okay, it's okay for me to want to breed and it's okay for me to want to love and, and working on looking at the spiritual part of sexuality with my partner coming out of such a dysfunctional world, right? Where everybody was kind of out for themselves sexually or otherwise. Um, I had to learn that it's okay for me to want to have sex, Right. Because it was for so long, I didn't realize that that was the case. Mm -hmm. And even having sexual trauma and having uh, uh, things that I didn't necessarily agree with growing up, um, we can come out of that. And we had it. We had another person share their war story talking about this, but we can come out of of unhealthy sexual relationships and still want to have sex mm -hmm. and learn how to, how to mm -hmm. have healthy sexual relationships, you know, but I think it doesn't come without the conversation. And yeah. And I think it also you know, plays into the fact that everybody's sexual appetites are different and everybody has sexual desires and fantasies and, and things that they enjoy sexually. And instead of us shaming someone because they have a sec different sexual appetite or, or different se sexual desires as maybe we have, it's just understanding that, that sex can be healthy in so many different ways. Uh, there's not a one-size-fits-all for, for sex. Mm -hmm. There's not. Well, and I think, too, like a lot of these lines of like, you know, having the conversation about sex, I do, I do think it's important because as, as we're talking about it, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, back to myself in, in a number of different, you know, situations I had in my childhood that were of a sexual nature that, you know, I, I didn't recognize as good or bad, you know, like I almost just assumed it was all bad and none of it was natural because we were doing something that was so taboo. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so it was hard to, it's hard even now. It's like, well, is that, is that just what kids do? Or was that like trauma? Like, was that, you know, legit trauma that I experienced? Like, and, you know, and I think that by opening up and having the conversations that we're having, like, hopefully we'll be able to determine, you know, like what is a healthy relationship and what does healthy sexual appetite look like and what is the best way to, you know, have that in a relationship and know where the boundaries are and what is, what is good and what is bad and yada, 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 like through the nature of, you know, talking about it. So, yeah, I appreciate that, that you're here and that we can have this conversation and I'm sure we'll roll into some actual trauma um, because there is so much of that that I think you know we all experience in one way or another and and that a lot of our our viewers and listeners experience as well mm -hmm. um, but yeah I mean sex is weird man sex is great I mean it's I mean I like it I'm a fan I mean it's so I uh, I look back through my sexual life and there was so much of it attached to, um, wanting acceptance, right? Like, like I, 
I had sex with people that I just I wasn't sexually attracted to, but felt like that's what I needed to do, you know, for for whatever reason. Um, and then I ended up getting married to somebody based on sex, you know, and tried to convince myself that that, that was love. You know, I, I I've done probably more spiritual damage in the name of sex than almost anything else right because that that i seek that connection so much you know and so being able to find a partner that's able to work with with my sexual dysfunction Mm -hmm. with me Mm -hmm. has been a big part of my my recovery my growth you know us being able to grow sexually together because you know I didn't go to sexual therapy alone. <laughs> but some people do. Some people do, but yeah. I didn't. You yeah. know, luckily luckily I had a partner that was willing to work on themselves as well because you know, this stuff is is it, it's uh, it, it it is, you know. Yeah, it's taboo even if it even when it shouldn't be. It's it's almost it seems like it's almost easier for me to talk about sexual dysfunction than sexual function. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is that yeah. Is that weird? Because I think it's, it's well, <laughs> like, like, yeah, because dysfunction, dysfunction, trauma, and all those things are clearly wrong. Right. So we know that, like, we need to have a voice in these areas. <clears throat> these things need to be discussed because it's important in order to facilitate, you know, treatment centers or help or, or, or whatever is necessary. But to have a, a conversation about, you know, why why would you why would you want to talk about like what a healthy sexual relationship is like what's the point like we all just we we all just go into sex knowing what not to do (laughs) barely yeah yeah. barely at that right yeah i mean and and i think that that unfortunately society still holds this stigma that uh, men are sexually dysfunctional that they have all sorts of of weird and unhealthy sexual appetites and women still shouldn't talk about it and you will see you won't i will because i'm a woman uh, women talk about it very privately and secretly about sex they're not openly talking about it like men do um, even if it's talking to, uh, about it in a way of, you know, a conquering conversation, right, that men sometimes have. Women don't have those conversations. And women talk about it secretly. Um, I participate in a, in a group with women that, that talks openly about sex. And men aren't invited to that conversation. And it's a, almost a secret society of women who are having these conversations because they want to be able to express themselves sexually, but it's not it's not openly accepted by society for women to do that because they do get the stigma of they're a slut Mm -hmm. or, you know, they're, they're risky or they are, you know, not appropriate or they're not professional in any longer in their professions that they're having conversations about sex from a, you know, a private personal conversation. So they keep it quiet, Mm -hmm. which then breeds unhealthy relationships. Yeah. Which keeps it quiet, Mm -hmm. which keeps it quiet, which keeps it quiet. And it's secret and it's unhealthy and it's, there's stigmas and it just keeps snowballing into uncomfortable conversation. Yeah. And, and it, and it leaves a lot to assumption, right? Mm -hmm. So nobody's talking about it. Everybody's assuming about it. And then what happens then? Like we always assume the worst, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's always, it's always the worst thing. And so, it was when when I when I first got on this path of, of sobriety, there were so many different resources, but 
I, I came across this book called Conversations with God from Neil Donald Washington. And, and they talk about sexuality in there and how closed off it, it is, you know, even healthy sex is so closed off. And, and one of the, one of the comments in that was, he, he said, you know, most people would rather see a man die on the battlefield without a whimper than see a woman having sex in the street with one, right? Because it's so uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and so taboo, but it's so natural. And, and like none of us would be here without it. Right. However, figuring out what that looks like in a healthy, in a healthy manner took me a very long time. You know, I, well, I feel like maybe some people probably never get it. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, and I had to have a partner that was, that was down to have a healthy sexual relationship also, which I think is where the, the consent versus manipulation thing, we have to figure out who we are sexually. And that's one of the things that I work with, try to work with my guys when we're doing step work or getting to know ourselves is you know, what are your desires? Right. And are you, are you, um, are you like, are you subduing those desires? Are you exploring those desires? Are you talking about those desires? Because we know now that there's a group for everybody. Right. And, and, and if, if you can find the right thing, I've seen so many, and I use, I use, I use this example a lot with my guys early on. Like, a lot of people will stay sick because they're not willing to talk about what they desire sexually. Mm. Um, there's a lot of people that will stay in unhealthy marriages and would rather die an alcoholic than get out of that marriage or step out of the closet and admit that they're gay or, or whatever that is. And I feel like at, on this podcast, that's one of the things that we're trying to do is, is open up the doors for the discussion and let people know that, you know, it's, it's okay to be who you are, right? It's okay to be who you are. If you're timid sexually, that's okay, mm-hmm. but you need to talk about it. And, and we need to create a place that it's okay for you to talk about that. You know, if you're dominant sexually, that's okay. You know, but we need to be okay to talk about that kind of stuff that, you know, one of the things that that therapist told me is, is that I am okay. You know, as we started talking about desire and, and, um, all all the things that go along with it that we don't talk about, the more that I opened up, the more okay that I felt, you know? So, um, what is consent versus manipulation? Right. Like, cause I don't feel like manipulation is okay. Yeah. And I think unfortunately people don't realize that even if you're married, um, you still have to have the consent, right? Sure. Um, you know, I, I deal a lot with sexual trauma with working with safe Harbor crisis center and, you know, we get a lot of, and even in my private private practice, get a lot of couples that come in for, for therapy and uh, they don't understand that you still have to have consent, even though you're in a relationship. Mm-hmm. That yes still has to mean yes in that relationship. Every time. Every time. So it can't be, well, you said yes yesterday, therefore today it means you meant you, you were okay with it if, if we have sex four times. Mm-hmm. It, yes has to mean yes every single time. 
Uh, and people struggle with that. And I think they also struggle with the fact that they're not having those conversations. So they haven't established what's healthy within their relationship with each other, not what's healthy for the neighbor, not what's healthy for right. your girlfriend and her boyfriend, but what's healthy in your relationship. And, and what do you, what did those two partners enjoy together? Because that can look very different from one couple to another. Mm-hmm. Vastly different. Yeah. And, and on that note, like it's okay to say no the next day too, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, like it, consent is yes every time, but mm-hmm. if you change your mind, it's okay to say no, but it's up to yeah. you to say that, right? Like, like, and, and it's up to that other person to respect that. And, and so it's, it's so hard to get to, but I don't know, maybe it's not hard to get to, but it's important to at least say, if you said yes last night and tonight it's no, mm-hmm. it's okay for you to say no tonight. Well, and I think where the manipulation comes in is, you know, people are making comments to their partner around, well, but you, but I need this. Mm-hmm. And if you loved me, you, you would give it to me, right. You'd give me sex because I need it or you're my wife or you're my partner. And so this is your duty. You're yeah, supposed I mean, to do this, yeah, that's right? What I think probably happens mm-hmm. more often. So I think that's where some of the manipulation comes in. Some of the shaming and the guilt uh, conversations is around those unhealthy relationships. And mm. which is why I started off with saying, you have to know what a healthy re- relationship looks like before you can start having a conversation about sex. Mm. Sex can't be the first topic, what the healthy relationship needs to look like and making sure that it's healthy and consensual has to be there first. Mm. And then a conversation about sex can happen. Right. But we've not, we haven't taught children as they're growing up that healthy relationships are important and what does that look like first and we've also taught them don't talk about sex and so they don't know which way to turn they don't know when they're when they start dating they don't know what healthy relationship looks like you know we have one in five individuals in high school are sexually assaulted in utah that's huge Mm -hmm. and a lot of that's attributed to the fact that they don't know what a healthy relationship is uh, they're being manipulated. They, you know, the yes doesn't mean yes in high school. There is that conquering attitude with men. And we're not involving men and boys in the conversations around sex and healthy relationships. And that they have to be at the table for these discussions. Right. Yeah, it seems like a lot of times when it comes to the men, we're just sort of like, well, they're men. They'll figure it out. Like, mm-hmm. it's just natural. They can just operate on instincts. Whereas, like, with women, I mean, men are told, like, hey, if she says no, that means no. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, that's it. Like, that's 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 all That's all we know, you know? Yeah. Um, beyond that, it's like women are obviously taught much, much more. And, and in lieu of your career, um, uh, going back to what you had said about, you know, having these conversations and teaching our kids, like, what a healthy relationship is. Like, what, what do... How do we have a conversation about, you know, with with kids like, <clears throat> by the way, this is what a healthy relationship isn't. So like if you are propo- like if somebody comes to you and says, you know, that they they need your help with something and, you know, and oh, and by the way, like I'm going to take some pictures or, or whatever, you know, horrible situation, you know, that these kids may find themselves in or that, you know, we have found ourselves in or or people that have listened to their show or contributed to the show have found themselves in that, you know, that exposed them to some sexual trauma. Like what is the way that we 
have an open conversation with kids about the possibility of, hey, and by the way, there's also this part of sex. Like, yeah, healthy relationships, you know, you, you'll have sex, but also sex is primitive and sex is, you know, something that, that somebody might try to get from you forcefully. You know what I mean? Like, is that, is that something we also need to involve that in the conversation as yeah, well? Yeah, definitely. Right? And I, but I think that comes back to teaching kids what is consent, you know? Mm. So whether it is, you know, a 50 year old man asking a, you know, a 10 year old to do some inappropriate things, if that 10 year old isn't giving consent and, and we're teaching them that you're not old enough to get consent and you don't have to get con- give consent. And these are the times where you shouldn't be giving consent. Mm-hmm. Then they feel more empowered to tell somebody that something's happening or to stop it or to, um, get away from the situation. But right now we're not, te- we're not teaching kids that. And so what we've taught them is if an adult tells you to do something, you do it. Mm, right. And, and so they do it. And, and, we're not protecting them. You know, I, I show a video that's called, you know, the consent of the cup of tea, because for some reason we don't want to talk about consent for sex. So I'm, we converted into a conversation that if I said to you, would you like a cup of tea? And you said, no, I don't want a cup of tea. I'm not going to take the cup of tea and pour it down your throat. Mm. Right. You've said, I don't want a cup of tea. And for some reason, if you say no to a cup of tea, I'm okay with that. Right. But yet if you say no to sex, I'm not. Well, I mean, does that does that come down to like a biological thing? I mean, as far as like why we would why we wouldn't be okay with that? Like you just said no to me. Like why would you do that? Like I need this sex. Like I I don't know. Like I'm just sort of trying to like fill this out in my mind. Like like why is there why is there that difference? Well, know? I think one reason is as a child you were probably taught that if somebody asked you if you would like a cup of tea, you're supposed to say no, thank you. Mm-hmm. Your parents actually took the time to teach you that. Or if somebody says, I don't want tea, Mm -hmm. you don't try to open their mouth and shove tea down their throat. You were taught that. Mm -hmm. But we haven't taught our kids about saying no to sex or giving consent around sex. We have not had those conversations. Hmm. And I think there's the difference. Yeah, well, I think we've established that we need to have more of those conversations. For sure. I feel like in a way, like, you know, exposing certain people or, or, or... people of a certain age to those kinds of conversations would hopefully prevent some of the trauma that we experience that, that goes on and sticks with us for our lives. You know, that's not something that, that we forget or that Mm -hmm. we, um, are easily, is easily moved past, right? It's like something that we have to work with. And I, I dare say that, you know, I've had trauma in my past that has shaped how I, how I view sex or how I perceive sex in my mind, you know, and, and Willie has probably experienced the same thing and you as well, Chris. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, that, you know, by having these conversations, maybe we can prevent a little bit of that so that people can, Maybe like, cause it feels like almost everybody that you talk to has some sort of something in their past. And it's like, uh, you know, show me the person that doesn't have some sort of trauma that has shaped, you know, how they view sex now. And, and, you know, I, I would be amazed, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. How do you, how, yeah. I think just having the two of you at the table being men, um, is an, an important start to these conversations because I, I don't think typically men feel comfortable openly having con- the conversation about sex in general um, in a healthy way. 
It took, right? it took me a minute. I'm, yeah. I'm feeling better now. Yeah, not uh, a conquering way, but a healthy yeah. conversation around it. And then also to be able to talk about trauma that's related to it and trauma versus the pleasure around sex. Because mm-hmm. uh, there's definitely both sides to sex. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there, there is the, if there wasn't pleasure in sex, I dare say there'd be no trauma. Like, what, what, would, what would we want it for, you know? If there wasn't some sort, if we weren't getting some sort of gratification from it, yeah. Well, wouldn't you agree that me personally, sex is important to me. Sex within my relationship is important to me, you know, and and sex within her relationship is important to her too. Um, it didn't it didn't come about, you know, even even with Avery, our relationship sexually was not healthy. It wasn't abusive. It was more, uh, it was more non-existent for a long time. You know, it was more like out of, out of um, necessity or whatever. Like feeling like, oh, well, you know, obligation. We, obligation we, we've been together yeah. for so long. Like we should be having more sex. But until we started talking about it and shaping who we are personally, you know, getting getting the biological part involved as as well as getting it out of the way it's such a it's such a weird thing to be able to go okay sex is so important biologically but sex is so unimportant biologically right because people can go a very very long time without Mm -hmm. sex and not die (laughs) like Mm -hmm. very long time and they can go a very long time without sex without hurting somebody or killing somebody or ever having it right and people can have relationships uh, without sex and people can have sex every day and still not be fulfilled. Right. And so that thing that you're talking about having a healthy relationship is where we had to start. What does our relationship look like? And so I think a person needs to ask themselves, is sex important? Is sex important to you in your relationship? And people need to start getting honest about who they are with. Right. And whether they're, they're, they're matched, because if, if you're not matched with a person and you would be better off in a different relationship, you know, especially if it's not, if you're not like sucked in abusively, you know, if you're just in a relationship with somebody and sex is important to you and it's not important to them and you don't love them, like, like, let's move on. Like, let's find joy in this world, but it takes work. You have to get honest about who you are and what you want. And hopefully that matches up with the person that you're with or the person that you're looking for. This stuff isn't going to happen if you're lying about it. Right. Yeah. And I think that's a hard conversation to have again, because once again, we're not typically talking about sex when we get into a relationship. It's just an expected piece of the relationship. (laughs) Right. So we don't have those compatibility conversations. We, we, we shy away from the conversation, even if we've been with somebody for 20 years. We typically aren't talking about sex other than, do you want to have sex tonight? Like, we're not talking about, you know, our desires and our likes and dislikes and our frequency or body changes or, you know, anything. We just have an expectation that it's a piece that's supposed to be part of our relationship and enough said. Mm-hmm. And that's unfortunate and it's unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think that, I mean... When it comes down to a healthy relationship, like for for me, anyways, I've I've discovered at this stage of the game that 
communication is extremely vital. And sex is not excluded from that conversation. Mm -hmm. Like, sex needs to be something that we're able to talk about in that relationship. Like, hey, like, you know, you don't seem to be as interested anymore as, you know, as you once were. Like, what's going on? Is there something wrong with me? Is there something wrong with you? Like, is there something I can do different? Is there, you know, like, what... What 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 is it going to take in order for us to to become compatible in that area again? You know, just like it would be if like, hey, I noticed that you know you you had told me to take the garbage out even though I told you I was going to take the garbage out. Like what what's really going on? You know what I mean? Like it it should be the same the same way the same way we converse about anything in our relationships. Sex should not be excluded from that. You know, in order to maintain that healthy relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I mean, yeah, I, I know I'm pretty good about it with with my wife, you know, and I appreciate that about our relationship. You know, we're we're able to to have that. But one thing that I haven't thought about is like, are we in a place where we can say, by the way, you know, like this happened to me in the past, and because of that, it might be one of the reasons why, you know, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like in a healthy relationship, you should be open enough with your partner to talk about like what has maybe shaped how you are sexually now, you know, but I don't know. I don't know. It's, 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 it is, it's, it's taboo. It's hard to talk about sometimes. Well, and I think if you grew up in a family where you never talked about it, Willie, you kind of talked to, you said that, you know, you didn't talk about it growing up. You just, you you know, we probably talked about it with our friends or just received information from media or, you know, other resources. And that's how it shaped our opinions on Mm -hmm. sex. And so instead of having conversations as small children, we took all those pieces that we saw or heard or received in some way. And we formed an opinion around sex and it probably was an incorrect opinion, but there was nobody that was changing that opinion for you or for anybody else. And so once again, we probably talk about more about what to what color to paint a room with our with our significant others than we do how to uh, be intimate with mm-hmm. with them and what that means in our relationship. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about all the things that really don't matter and not talking about the main things that do. Right. It feels like all I knew as a kid, like whether it was because of media or friends or family, which older brothers, like my parents didn't talk about it, you know, like all I knew was like, whatever it was, I wanted it, (laughs) you know, I wanted in and that was like it. That was, that was all I knew. And so like every, every person that I would meet or or woman that I would meet was an opportunity, you know, and then eventually like that became a, a way for me to, you know, find gratification in myself and, and, you know, unfortunately, or fortunately, like how, however you want to look at it, like down the road, it was like, hey, man, the, the, the better they look, the better it made me feel, you know. And and obviously there's something, you know, the wires are crossed there somewhere where it's like, I don't think that's exactly what sex is supposed to be. You know, and I had to come a long way to find out, you know what, like maybe maybe I'm looking at this all wrong, along with a lot of things in my life, right? Like not just sex, but basically my whole perspective in general had to shift. And so luckily, you know, through some work, I've been able to get to a place where, you know, I recognize that that's not exactly the best appetite or healthy way to think about sex. But it's it's taken some work and like who knows what a conversation, you know, in my childhood could have prevented or led to, you know, later on down the road. 
and not to take it back because it's all shaped who I am and I'm very proud of who I am. But, you know, simultaneously, like moving forward, we should definitely be having these conversations. Yeah. Well, I think in Utah, it, it's even uh, even more serious to have these conversations be, because we're not talking about it, because we haven't outlined what healthy looks like, uh, because we've made everything so taboo here. Um, our statistics for sexual assaults is staggering. So, you know, one in four women will experience sexual assaults. There's four of us in the room today with Jordan over there in the corner, and that means I'm the one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's true. That's a true statement. I, I'm a survivor of, of sexual assault. And one in five men are victims of sexual assault. And those those statistics are staggering. Uh, and And you think that we would say, no more to that. That's that's too many people. But yet we just continue to turn a blind eye and just not want to talk about it. And so I'm impressed that we're talking about it today. Yeah. Because without these conversations, we can't stop the sexual violence around sex either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and you talk about the sexual violence and it just sort of brings me to our war story today because I feel like Fausto... Mm-hmm. Um, is somebody that we've we've uh, been following on social media for a while. He's a, a super cool dude, and he he was kind enough to share his story with us. And and been he, through some shit. He's been through some shit, to say the very least. Yeah, and owns his story. It's not afraid to talk about no. it. And and his his bravery, I think, I dare say sparked this conversation said wow we need we need to fucking talk about this mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know based off of that so mm-hmm. good story yeah yeah he was great i mean he 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 obviously experienced some some trauma early in his childhood which is which is why we're talking about it and it went on to take him down a road of of um addiction and and many many other things um but yeah i don't know what do you, what do you yeah. think yeah, let's let's uh, let's let's bring it in. Without further ado, here is Fausto's story. So my name is Fausto Castellanos, and I'm a recovering alcoholic and drug addict. And I've experienced a lot of sexual trauma uh, as a child and as a teenager. You know, I grew up with a dysfunctional family with a you know, father that's an alcoholic and a drug addict and a mother who's a para-alcoholic, uh, which is a person who came from an alcoholic family, doesn't necessarily drink, but she's attracted to that person because it's only what she knows. And then she developed cancer, not once, not twice, but three times. And, um, you know, these things played a huge part in my story. And I just wanted to kind of share it basically like, what I've been through, what it made my life to, and how I got through it. So for me growing up, I would say I had no idea that my family was dysfunctional, right? It's all I know. I'm a child. And when I was about six or seven years old, um, there was these kids I used to hang out with in my apartment complex, and they were older than me. And I remember being sexually abused in a game room, right? And in the game room, I remember just being in there, and I don't know why I did it still to this day or what happened, but I remember the kid making me go down on him, right? <clears throat> and, I, and I can remember, for whatever reason it was, I felt like if I did that, I was going to be a part of a little or circle, right? So at the time, it really didn't do nothing to me. I, 
I thought, right? So because of that, that carried on to be natural in my life, right? Experience that stuff. And having that experience led me to being, you know, I would say experimental with my guy cousins and a neighbor that was a guy, right? So now I have these two things in my life which brought shame, guilt, and fear, right? Like what happens if my family finds out? What happens if somebody finds out, right? But again, this is all I know. It happened to me as a kid. I take that with me. That's all I know, right? So these things were like secrets in my life, right? I remember going to school, knowing what happened, but saying nothing, right? Have to play a part at school, have to play a part at home, have to play a part with these friends. And then the people who do know about this, again, is playing another part. So when I got introduced to marijuana and alcohol on eighth or, eighth or ninth grade, it was like that thing that took away that fear, took away that anxiety. It took away that feeling disconnected, right? And again, no idea was anything wrong. It was just something that was there that I did that gave me this feeling of um, clarity, of freedom, serenity, right? It gave me that confidence, that self-love. And, um, you know, I ran with it. And it was all fun, right? Ninth grade was fun doing that. Uh, got into ecstasy, got into cocaine, um, skateboarding, living life, nothing, no, nothing bad happening. But it was until I got kicked out of um, our apartment complex, me and my mom and my sister, because, again, my dad wasn't around because he was an alcoholic. He was abusive physically, mentally, emotionally. Um, so he wasn't in the picture. So we got kicked out of our apartment in Orange County for no bad reason, just you guys got to go. So then we moved to L.A., and uh, that's where I got introduced to the cocaine, and then I got introduced to meth. And then when I got introduced to meth, you know, that's when things started getting kind of weird. Uh, you know, I was 14 years old, no idea, you know, it's meth. It was like, holy shit, this feels amazing. Like, wow. Because of that, though, I got involved in a situation with a person who was like 58 years old, family friend, and, you know, he was molesting me for months. And again, the fucked up part was I was okay with it. Right. Because it happened to me as a child. I did it with my cousins. So this was just kind of like, Oh, this is just life. This is normal. Right. And because I like it, shame, fear and guilt again. So I remember when this was happening, I was praying every single day. Like, you know, I don't know what I was praying to at that time, but I remember just praying like, Please help me move back home. I don't want to be in LA no more. I don't know how to get away from this. The person's next door. This just keeps on happening. Like, how do I get away from this? I can't tell my family. So luckily, uh, my mom was like, hey, we're going to move back to Orange County. We got a place. So I moved away from that. And I was 15, I was 16. I was 16 years old. We went back home. And I went back home. And again, everything was fine. Saw my friends again. Um, my mom would buy me alcohol, so all my friends would come to my house. We would have house parties, you know, beer pong, King's Cup, stack them, normal stuff. Ecstasy, DJing in the house, going to house parties, just having fun again. But again, all that stuff was still there. I just kind of shoved it down. And going through life, my way of coping with stuff was chasing that, um, that ideal life, people would say. So, you know, get a job, get a girlfriend graduate high school, 
which in fact, I only graduated high school because my mom did my homework because I dropped out of ninth grade, did independent studies. She did all my homework because I was always out fucking around. So she has a high school diploma, not me. <laughs> and that's the truth. So again, now I'm 18 years old, got a girlfriend, done with school, got a job. And due to these things right here, again, as soon as something went wrong with those things that I've attained, those external things, um, all my emotions would come out, right? And I'll start reacting, whether it's doing a lot of drugs, doing a lot of drinking, being super abusive in my relationships, uh, you know, being angry towards my family, blaming them for everything. And I remember I overdosed on 20 pills of ecstasy when I was 18, around that time. Uh, I took about 20 pills after a party, everything turned white. And I remember uh, waking up in a hospital, handcuffed to the bed. I was so fucked up. I was masturbating to the nurses, eat out of my mind. I was bleeding everywhere because I seized out. And, you know, I remember looking at my mom and being like, fuck. Well, now I'm fucked. Now they know I do drugs because the whole time she didn't know, right? She probably did, but I don't know. And once that happened, I remember trying to get out of the bed and I couldn't even walk. And the first thing I do is I need pain pills. They wouldn't give it to me, so I asked my friend's dad for pain pills, and he gave them to me because I made this, you know, sob story that oh, I'm in so much pain, and then I overdose again, and they found me on the streets bleeding in the middle of a uh, of um, Yorba Belinda County in or in Orange in um, Orange County, and yeah, that, that's my life, right? And again, I just don't learn from this, right? It was like fuck everything, whatever, and my life went back to how it was from 18 to 21, just partying, work. You know, having times of blacking out, being stupid, taking Xanax, taking methadone, uh, Valium, Oxycontin, you know, all these things throughout my life, having moments of, you know, losing shit, breaking shit, being stupid, causing chaos. And then once I turned 21, uh, I calmed down again, right? I turned 21, got a girlfriend, had a good job, and I calmed down again. Because every time I get these external things that come into my life in the beginning, I calm down, right? Now I'm working as a server having a lot of fun, you know, I can drink at my job, uh, girlfriend parties with me, she gets along with all my friends, everything's fine again, I get a car now, and as soon as, again, that relationship starts to fall apart, I start to fall apart, become a very abusive boyfriend, I show up to work, haven't slept in days, um, and I just remember, again, self-destructing the whole entire time because all that trauma in my past is still there. It's still there. So what happens was when I was 25 years old, relationship falls apart. She cheats on me with her coworker, which looking back, I deserved it anyway. So she cheats on me with her coworker. I'm about to get fired from two of my jobs <clears throat> for showing up coked out of my mind. I'm in debt. I have 15 payday loans of debt. And, you know, just that. I wanted to self-destruct. I'm in debt, heartbroken. I've been molested and abused as a child and a teenager. I remember everything about it. My dad's a piece of shit. My mom has cancer. And, you know, I'm just broken inside. So I remember in October of 2017, you know, I was going to commit suicide. I had more than 20 grand mal seizures, bleeding, throwing up, you know, just, just broken, face swollen shut. And, um, it was crazy because, like, I reached out to a buddy of mine, and I was like, dude, I need help. Picks me up. 
and he read me some some scripture from a Bible, right? It was God gives the strongest battles to the strongest warriors. And whatever it was in that moment, all the pain went away. Everything went away. And I just felt free with a sober mind. So because of that, I looked up online AA, went to a meeting, went up on that podium and shared everything that happened to me. And it was the first time somebody said me too. And because of that, I was able to keep on going back every week and just share and share. It was weird. It was like this thing just clicked in my head that I was supposed to be an addict, that I was supposed to be, you know, molested, that I was supposed to have a shitty dad, that I was supposed to go through all these things and be a terrible person and experience all these things because God knew that I can change all of that to go help people. And because of that, that carried me in my journey. It's been, what, two and a half? No, it's been like a little over two and a half years now, my sobriety journey through AA and you know life is beautiful now it is amazing the way it worked for me was i did aa got a sponsor worked the steps right i just did it for me it was easy i just wanted to do it so bad so i did that and i had no idea what i was doing right i don't know if i was doing it the right way i just said what do you need me to do and i did it and then through that i incorporated a lot of self-help books i was reading self-help books every day listening to motivational videos morning and night listening to hypnosis, meditating through headspace every single day in the beginning from three minutes to five to 10 to 20 to 30 to an hour, incorporating that only watching podcasts. I threw away all my movies. I threw away all my music. I only listened to positive stuff. You know, I literally decluttered everything. I went vegetarian for that first year. Because I heard that if you eat meat, it gives you anxiety, it gives you fear, it gives you depression. Because when they kill the animal, they're in fear. So you're taking that in, you know, whether that's true or not, I was taking that into, I will do whatever I can to fix how I feel. So I add all those things on top of working out. And for me, working out was the jump rope, right? The jump rope for me was my outlet because when I was 20 years old, I saw this video of this guy jumping rope and it blew my mind. So when I was 25, I got sober. I still had that rope and I, and I used it going to the gym at six in the morning, crying the whole time. I remember Crunch Fitness, six in the morning, crying and crying and crying and jumping and crying and jumping and crying and jumping and crying and playing victim in the beginning, right? I can't believe this happened, that happened, that happened. And, you know, incorporating those things really helped me. And because of those things, I've learned so much about myself through doing that, right? Meditation helped me with my emotions. Jumping rope released the oxytocin, the dopamine, the serotonin. And it made me feel connected. The 12 steps got me to figure out what's wrong with me what I need to forgive, who I need to forgive, and how to help people, right? It helped me develop the God concept. And through time, the God concept became more clear. For me, it's Jesus. But I accept everybody, whether you believe in Buddha, Allah, um, the energy, universe, like I just love it. It's all the same morals. So utilizing that stuff, traveling by myself, with people, you know, it, it was just incredible. All these things that I've mixed in my journey have just really developed something amazing. And I, and I share with people when you get sober, it was like, do whatever you can, no matter what it is, because there's so many ways to get sober. So many ways. You know, AA was my foundation to get sober. I love AA because it's free. It's everywhere. You know what I mean? You can find anything through it, I tell people. You want to get a job, go to AA. You need a place to stay, go to AA. You want to find out what you want to do through life, go to AA. You need a career, go to AA. You know what I mean? You need friends, go to AA. Like, you need help someone, go to AA. Everything. You want to learn how to be a good dad, go to AA. Good boyfriend, go to AA. 
good person go to AA. So for me, that's why I love it because it gives me, it gave me everything. And then I incorporate what I do for myself. And the biggest thing for me in my story was, you know, when you get molested or sexually abused, that's not in the AA book. It's not going to, there's no, it's not going to tell you how to get through it. It can help you by writing it out. But for me, I did inner child meditation. Inner child meditation helped me go back to the time it happened and forgive my younger self because you feel like it's your fault. Even though you know it's wrong, you still feel like it's your fault because if you're aroused when it happens, then your mind tells you you liked it and now it's your fault. So inner child meditation helped me forgive myself. And the hard part was forgiving the person who did it, not in person, but to myself, in my mind, in my meditation. And that really helped me let go of that pain because the things that happened for me through it is, am I gay? Because a guy did it to me. Um, being around men makes me uncomfortable. Being around kids makes me uncomfortable. You know, um, the thought of being raped turns me on. It's fucked up. These thoughts go through your head. They don't go away. They're still there. They're still there till this day. But I just know to accept them and to, you know, not let them control me. It's not me. But these are things that arise and it's fucked up. Like really think about it. When I'm around a kid, I feel so fucking uncomfortable because I'm like, this parent probably thinks I'm gonna rape their kid because that's what happened to me. So my mind does that. So if I feel uncomfortable, it's like, what do I do in this situation? I need to walk away. Like, I don't want kids. I don't. Because I, I haven't been able to overcome that uncomfortable feeling. And I've tried by, I'll hang out with my nieces and nephews and try to like, okay, nothing's gonna happen. Like, this is normal. Like, just be here. And it's like that, that feeling's still there. So that's something I'm still working through. Um, so I tell people too, take that serious when you have that going, when you've experienced that in your life. And really just whatever you want in life, you can manifest. And I've learned that. When I had one week sober, I wrote out my ideal life. And some of these things on here seemed impossible. And everything, and everything happened. Everything manifested from meeting um, the top jump ropers in the world to getting sponsored to being on different podcasts, to traveling the world. They did a YouTube story on me. I've met a lot of famous people. I've spoken at events with this one guy's Oprah Winfrey's friend, Tim Story, a very powerful speaker. And I happened to open up for him. The bass player from Corn opened up for me at an event. You know, I've been able to work in rehab, become a counselor, become a straight A student, become an amazing boyfriend, be able to take care of my mother. I've been able to build a community of jump ropers all across the world. My social media went viral. You know, it's, it's crazy. These things that have happened because I believe when you're an addict, your, your problem is obsession, right? We obsess over something long enough. We will risk our life for it. Well, if you can obsess over something that you love, then you will be the best at it. You will stand out because you're doing it because you're doing it to survive. If you do not do these things accordingly, you will go back to old behaviors and risk your life. As simple as that. It's a fact. Whatever way you do it, you can't go back. So for me, I've channeled all that energy and the things that I love to do, whether it be something physically I do, spiritually I do, or emotionally what I do. So I write out what my ideal life is, why I want these things, and I meditate on it. I daydream about it. I talk about it as if I already have it right? The people I surround myself with are all people who are like-minded. They don't have to be sober, but they have to think outside the box. You have to believe in something higher than yourself. For me, I know if I don't surround myself with people who believe in a higher power, I will not be around you because I cannot question my spirituality. Once I question, it's a bad place to be. 
So I surround myself with people like that, right? And I've been able to progress as a counselor, I've been able to progress as a jumper, progress as a friend, progress, progress as a speaker. Like so many things are happening and there's a lot of things I can't even talk about now that are happening, but huge things like being on TV, having people like Michael Jordan in a sense, and the way I like to explain it is imagine you're a basketball player, that's 18 years old and Michael Jordan calls you randomly. Like, how did he find you? That's huge. If he's calling you, making time for you, there's something special about you. My life has been like that with a lot of people that are up and, you know, doing big things with life, all because I was able to focus on believing that there is a God, believing that my life has to have purpose, helping people, being selfless, facing my um, character defects, right? If I got to wear a joker mask. I'm a know-it-all. I'm selfish. I'm self-centered. You know, I'm driven by fear. I'm codependent, you know, facing these realities and changing all those things to be able to find that joy in my life. You know, when you really face yourself and you really want to change, anything is possible. Anything, like anything, anything is possible. Have God in your life, visualize, and you can have it. And I tell people, go on, you can check out my, my Instagram, you can check out my YouTube, you can see my story from day one when I wasn't sober. And every single day till now, and the things that I've done, you know, I've been to Thailand, I've been on a cruise, I've done a road trip to Louisiana with people. I've been to Oregon twice. You know, um, you can see me on certain things that were on TV. You can, there's just so many things that you can manifest. And that's what I want to share for people. It doesn't matter how bad your life was. It doesn't have to define you. No matter what you've experienced, that's your superpower. Because the more shit you've been through, the more people that you can help, Right. And the beauty is you have people that could carry you through that, right? Because you don't got to go through life alone. You can grow through life with people. And that's the beauty of it, right? Share your story. Your story is your purpose. Don't do your will. Do your higher power's will, right? And doing your higher power, it's, it's a beautiful thing because you don't got to worry about controlling your life no more. Your life is already made for you, I believe. I believe your life was already planned out. Everything you do, you were going to do anyways. So just know that and believe that. And whenever it makes you feel that joy what makes you feel happy, follow that, get aligned with that. When you could do something and lose track of time, then you're doing something you really enjoy. It's called state of flow. So get into a constant state of flow of your life and you're gonna be so happy with it. Ups and downs will happen, but think about it. There's no such thing as a down if you change your perception. Anything negative, whether it's an emotion or an external thing that happens to you in your life, it's because that there's something out there that doesn't want you to succeed. Because the more powerful you become, the more lives you're going to change. And the reality is we live in a world where there's a lot of negativity and the negativity is going to want to attack you. It's either going to make you not succeed by putting the thoughts in your head that you can't or it's going to put the thoughts in your head to give something up because it's, you're not ready for it. And that's the tricks that life will play on you at times. So we tell people when you're going through your sobriety and your recovery and your healing, if you're feeling depression, you're feeling anxiety, you're feeling fear, you just lost someone you love. Your car broke down, right? You lost your job. It's happening because something amazing is about to happen, right? You're not having to break down. You're having to break through. And I always tell people to really utilize that perception because when you can use that, it has so much power to you because now you're not going to live in that fear. You're going to live in that faith. And it's so true and it can happen. Do whatever you have to do, I tell people. Do it. You look at my jumping rope, I couldn't even jump rope once. And I'm sure if you check out the way I jump, I don't even know how I do it. And people all around the world from India to Brazil, 
the UK, you know, South Africa, people are so blown away by what I can do. And it's brought me so much attention, so much love and so, so many blessings because I can be one of the top jump ropers in the whole world for athletes, for training for things. Uh, it, it's just, it just blows my mind, you know? Um, it, it's just crazy. I'm telling you, really, whatever you want to do, just focus on it. If I could turn jumping rope into something to where I'm having all the success mentally, spiritually, financially, all these things, you can do it too. You know, and, and really educate yourself. If you find something wrong with yourself, buy a book on it. Ask someone that's your mentor or guru or sponsor to help you work through things, right? You need to have people in your life to lead you. Because once you try to lead your own life, you're a fool. Once you think you know it all, you don't know shit. You know what I mean? That, these are the things you got to avoid. So have people above you, have people equal to you, and have people you can teach. When you teach it, you keep it, right? Equals to enjoy, enjoy the journey. And then teachers to learn more, right? To humble you because humility is key, right? If you're not humble, then you're on your way to being humble. You don't want to get something in life amazing and then destroy it. So you're going to get humbled. Usually being humbled happens with, you know, challenges, adversity, things, right? Can you go through this? If your higher power goes away, he's not going away. He's testing you to see how faithful you are through these times, right? So know that too. These are all things that you go through. And the more you know, the easier it is to go through things, so I have people around you, right? Really have all these people around you. And, you know, life life is beautiful now for me. It's amazing. And, um, man, it's, there's just so much that's come from this, you know. Who would have thought uh, a boy who's, who's molested, drug addict, that shoves cocaine and meth up his ass and has to go to the hospital, spun out on speed for 10 days, talking to invisible people, right? Trying to commit suicide, having seizures, being a weird dude. You know, uh, being in motels, naked, flooding the thing, thinking people are in there, you know, thinking there's cops inside the pillows and like, you know, it's a shitty boyfriend, man, a shitty boyfriend who cheats, who steals, who lies, who manipulates, right? A guy whose mom has cancer pushes her down to the floor because he wants to get high. All these terrible, idiotic things, you know, who would have thought that a person like me can have such a beautiful life? And that's the beauty of it. No matter what you've done, you can be forgiven. And remember that. You can be forgiven. If you can be forgiven, then that's all that matters. Just do the right thing from this day forward. And you can have anything you want. Just believe. Because if you can believe it, you can manifest it, right? You don't need to see it physically. See it in your mind. And that's how things, you know, manifest. And, yeah, that's just, that's kind of my story. I want to share with people a little bit of AA and self-help and meditation and eating right and, you know, just visualization, man, obsess, dream big because your imagination is a preview of your future. You know, it's just, it's amazing what, what life can do for you when you try hard. Wow. Thank you. You can, you Who, can manifest it. Yeah. If you can think it, you can manifest Who it. Exactly. Who would have thought a guy, a person like that can be like, I agree. Yeah, it's I encouraging. Would have, I would have never thought, you know, Jesus. He went through a lot to get to the other side, <laughs> yeah. literally, right? Yeah, and he just owns it. Yeah, uh, I, I, I really love the way he talks about it because he uh, doesn't even skip a beat. Mm-hmm. So open and accepting of his story. Mm-hmm. And it's so great at telling it. Yeah. Yeah. He's, Fosto, thank you for your yes. story, man. That was great. The, everything about it, the way you told it and... And uh, your bravery and courage is super inspiring. If you believe it, 
if you believe it, it can it can happen. Mm-hmm. You know that change can happen. You know, and and it came from an AA meeting. Like he went to a meeting and he believed him. Yeah, you know, and that led him to the next thing. Right, led him to the next thing, mm-hmm. and that's that's the story of my recovery. Right, right, mine too. Sort of opened the doors. You know, it yeah, was just the gateway. Yeah, to feeling better. Boom, 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 boom. You know, and it, and it happens. You know, coming from that. You know, I could I could relate with so much of his story, you know, using it at such a young age mm-hmm. and and feeling like, you know, here's the weed, here's here's the alcohol. Nothing else really matters. Yep. It's the solution. When I think him being male and being able to talk openly about the sexual trauma that he experienced is just so impactful yeah, for so many people. Yeah. I mean, he didn't shy away from that conversation at all. I mean, the drugs and the alcohol, uh, you know, alone are are Mm -hmm. a journey for him to to come through. But to be able to talk about the the sexual violence that he experienced as a child and and how it affected him and where that brought drugs and alcohol into his life Mm -hmm. to medicate through that trauma... Uh, is is such a such a story and how how it how it affects him now mm-hmm. still yeah right? to be able to mm-hmm. talk about that well and hearing him you know talk about how he you know as a victim like he began to think that it was his fault because his body reacted a certain yeah. way to it you know because he did become aroused or because it was a male like you know he questions whether he's gay or not and and just you know all. And and again, you know, like some of it feels like it's because just, you know, the biology of sex is just confusing. Like he didn't maybe have the right perspective on it or know exactly how to to feel about sex in general. Right. Like he just knew mm-hmm. that what was happening was probably not good, but his body enjoyed it. So it must mean that he's bad. Yeah. And just because our brains or even verbally we say no to something uh, when when somebody turns you into a victim uh, for and, and assaults you in the way that he described, that doesn't mean that you're biologically, your body isn't going to respond to that. So your brain and, and everything knows, I don't want this and this isn't right. But your body still might respond to it. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think where it becomes so confusing for victims, male or female, is their bodies will have responded in a way that is indicative of pleasure, even though they're not enjoying it. Right. And uh, the shame and the guilt that comes along with that after an assault like that has happened and the confusion that they go through, uh, just like Fosto explained, is just, you know, maybe maybe I enjoyed it. Maybe I wanted it. Maybe this was okay for me because my body responded to it. And not having anybody that he could reach out to and talk to to get understanding of what is happening and to make that that process stop for him early on and then the journey that he went on that was, I think, sparked from that that trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thank you very much for sharing that. Uh, unbelievable. What a great, what a mm-hmm. great episode. Mm-hmm. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah. It was great to have you back, and, yeah. and this is such Always a taboo subject. Here. So thanks for, for entering into it yeah. with us and being unafraid. It's a big topic. Yeah, we probably sure just got is. a little piece of it today, right? Yeah, we could probably do a series on mm-hmm. it, get more and more comfortable with it. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you work with Safe Harbor. You know, can you tell us a little bit about what Safe Harbor is again? And 
I'd love to. So Safe Harbor Crisis Center, we're out of Davis County. We uh, work with individuals that have been affected by domestic abuse or sexual violence. And we help uh, anybody and everybody. And and people believe that places like mine uh, only assist women, but we have tons of men, unfortunately tons of men, Mm. that come in that are victims of sexual violence or domestic abuse. And uh, we are helping them the same as we help women. And I think it's important for men to know that they've got a place that they can go and get help. Uh, just the same as women do. And yeah. so, you know, Safe Harbor Crisis Center is one of those places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's there's places like that in, in every state, mm-hmm. you know. This mm-hmm. one happens to be in Utah. but um, And then uh, you also mentioned a Facebook group for women to talk yeah. openly. A safe place for women to go and talk openly. It's for women only. Well, yeah, I mean... I. Probably men could join, I guess, if they wanted to, but this is primarily women. And it's not just a matter of it being a safe place to talk. It's just an open space for us to just talk about sex. Mm -hmm. And so it's a Facebook group. It's called Salty Witches. And uh, we just talk about sex. Any and all of it. Right. I want to want to throw these plugs out, get yeah. those resources yeah. out there. Right. So if you're a woman wanting to, even if you don't want to be the one talking about it, you know, some, a lot of people are on these groups and they they want to be observers because they're 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 there to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want to have the conversation, but it's still an uncomfortable space mm-hmm. for them. And so, get on just to observe and listen. Yeah, That's I might just so I know people are talking about it. Yeah, yeah. it's a good conversation. Oh, good. People are talking about this stuff. Great. Sex doesn't have to be a scary and uncomfortable conversation. And it shouldn't be. Yeah, mm-hmm. it really shouldn't be. So thank you for coming on Thanks for with us and, and having this scary conversation. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for having me. Yeah, it was wonderful. You know, thanks everybody for showing up. Remember, if, uh, if you want to share your story with us, contact us via uh, email at... The other side of hell. I always look at, at Cameron. gmail.com. <laughs> like, what is it? <laughs> yeah. or, or DM us on Instagram at the other side of hell 101. You can listen to us uh, on Spotify. If you're watching us on YouTube, what, you can listen to things. us on Spotify and everywhere else. And everywhere <laughs> else. So, yeah, with that, I'm going to wrap it out. Thank you. We will see you on the other side. You are worth the work. Say good night. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Unless it's daytime. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Chris. <laughs>